Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. (laughs) I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts. Chicago's uptown neighborhood has long been famous for its historic music venues, like the Riviera, the Green Mill, and the Aragon. Take a walk through uptown and you'll find yourself stepping into the nightlife of a distant past, a world of cabarets, movie palaces, and ballrooms. It's a little strange if you think about it. Why were all these built here, so far from the city center? Which is exactly what uptown resident Karen Kinderman started wondering. It was just interesting to me to think about having so many theaters all in one place and thinking about the vibrancy of having such a place for artists and people to gather. So she asked Curious City, why is there such a concentration of theaters in Uptown? And how did it all begin? I'm reporter Robert Lorzell. In investigating Karen's question, I discovered the answer has a lot to do with the kinds of entertainment that were popular a hundred years ago. But it's also a story about the forces that shape the neighborhood itself, not just those venues. A history stretching all the way back to the 1800s. Back then, the area we now call Uptown was just countryside. And the biggest local attraction in those days? Cemeteries. In that era, it was common for Chicagoans to picnic or take walks in cemeteries like Graceland. And when people trekked out from the city to bury a loved one, they stopped for drinks at nearby saloons. You go see your dead relatives in the cemetery, and then you go have something to eat and go to the tavern, you know. That's Dave Jamillo, who owns the Green Mill. His jazz club sits in the same spot where one of those first cemetery waysides was located. When that saloon opened in the 1890s, it was surrounded by farms and vacant lots. But that began to change in 1900, when the first elevated trains connected this countryside area with the loop. As historian Angela Schlater explains... That sparked a population boom. What happened was Wilson Avenue became sort of a center for shopping and restaurants and things, and that's what started it. Sometimes history is a matter of timing. Uptown happened to be a growing neighborhood at a time when certain kinds of entertainment were booming in popularity. First, there were cabarets, intimate venues where audiences could see entertainers up close. Uptown got a cabaret in 1914 when Green Mill Gardens opened. The lavish venue was advertised as the coolest spot in Chicago. A guy could not come in at all unless he was in like a suit coat. That's Dave Jamillo again. And the women had to have gloves on. I mean, everyone was dressed like it was a fancy place to go. It was big at the time. The star attraction was Isabella Patricola, a Sicilian immigrant called the queen of the cabaret who sang and played violin. During that same era, newfangled motion pictures were a national craze. To meet the demand, the Balaban and Katz Company built luxurious movie palaces in growing neighborhoods, like Uptown. In 1918, they opened the Riviera Theater near Broadway and Lawrence, showing silent films with a live symphony. 
moviegoers filled the 2,600 seats. But five years into uh, its existence, they figured out that they needed a much, much bigger venue to take care of all the demand that was on the north side. John Holden is the former president of the Uptown Historical Society. He says Balaban and Katz built their new theater on land that used to be the Green Mills Beer Garden. They called it the Uptown Theater, and at the time, it was the biggest theater in the world, with 4,381 seats. They spared no expense in creating the most modern and lavish uh, theater probably that the country ever knew and will ever know. David Sifchek, the building's caretaker, describes what it was like back when it opened in 1925. Well, you would have probably walked through this grand lobby here. You plunked your quarter down or your dime, whatever the admission fee was, and you, you just walked into this magnificent Spanish castle. You know, you got to bear in mind the 20s, you know, you didn't have your televisions and VCRs, and they made this theater as grand and ornate as they could. Here's that band again. Ballroom dancing was also phenomenally popular in the 1920s. Young people wanted places where they could waltz or foxtrot, and they got one when the Aragon Ballroom opened in 1926. Thousands flocked to the ballroom each week, and countless more listened at home to live broadcasts from the bandstand. Coming to you direct from the glamorous air-conditioned Aragon Ballroom on Chicago's north side. Lawrence Avenue near Broadway, famous coast to coast for the finest in music and dancing always. As the years went on, Lawrence Welk, Benny Goodman, Glenn Miller, and Tommy Dorsey would all take the stage at the Aragon. Andy Carzas, whose family owned the ballroom, described it in an interview with Studs Terkel. Who came to dance? Mostly young people, uh, even late teens and in their early 20s, single people, unmarried. Uh, this was the wonderful place for courtship in Chicago. It was just completely busy all the time. Historian Angela Schlater again. Lights shining. If you walk north on Broadway at dusk, you'd see the lights from the uptown, the lights from the Riviera, the green mill flashing. Um, it was busy and people were everywhere. Thanks to the combined influences of cabarets, movie palaces, and ballroom dancing, uptown became a major entertainment district on Chicago's north side. But things changed after World War II. Movie attendance plummeted. More people stayed home to watch television, and big movie palaces like the Riviera and Uptown went out of style. So did ballroom dancing. Probably because young people today, uh, the, the fellas, uh, don't want to learn how to dance. They think it's a sissy activity. That's Andy Carzas again, speaking to Turkle in 1963. Young people go through high schools without learning. They do a lot of gyrations in record stores, but they don't learn beautiful ballroom dancing. Meanwhile, middle-class residents began to flee uptown and move to the suburbs. Historian Angela Schlater says the neighborhood became a gateway for new immigrants as the price of rent began to drop. Mansions and single-family homes were broken down into rooming houses, and it created a transient feel for the neighborhood that sort of exists to this day. But even as the neighborhood changed, many of those old entertainment venues survived, changing with the times. The Aragon and Riviera became rock venues. So did the Uptown Theater, hosting concerts by the Grateful Dead, Bob Marley, and Bruce Springsteen before shutting its doors in 1981. So looking back, it's not like there was some master plan to create an entertainment district in Uptown. It just became one, thanks to easy transportation, a population boom, 
and popular demand for places to see shows and go dancing. Now that we're in the 21st century, there's been talk of making Uptown into even more of an entertainment district, including a plan to reopen the Uptown Theater, if the owners can pull together millions of dollars in financing. But COVID-19 has cast a shadow on music venues in Uptown and all over the city. One venue that's reopened after months of being dark is the Green Mill. But the times have changed it yet again. At least for now, the club will operate at 25% capacity with no horns and no vocals. Because if there's one thing we know about these old uptown clubs, it's that they know how to adapt to a changing world. This story was reported by me, Robert Lorizel. Angela Schlater and David Sifchek were interviewed in 2000 by WBEZ's Steve Edwards. Audio from the Studs Terkel Radio Archive is courtesy of the Chicago History Museum and WFMT. Curious City is supported by the Conant Family Foundation. Before we start the show, we here at Curious City want to let you in on a little-known fact about WBEZ. 89% of all our funding comes from community support, including contributions from curious listeners like you. If this program has changed how you see Chicago, please consider supporting this program at wbez.org curious. Thank you.